0: We're not asking to ban betting advertising. We need to keep that important. We're trying to make sure there's some guardrails, like other industries, that could prove addictive and destructive. So we're looking at pulling that in. But we're not saying no more.
1: You're listening to the Gaming News Canada show with Steve McAllister, recorded live on LinkedIn Audio.
2: Follow Steve on LinkedIn to join the live audience good afternoon everyone and welcome back to the gaming news canada show presented by osler hoskin and harcourt llp it is thursday june 22nd and as always i am your host steve McAllister. first while clicking away on the keyboard tuesday afternoon working on today's newsletter we noticed on the twitterverse news coming from the senate in ottawa and more precisely from senator marty deacon that the upper house of the parliament of canada had taken an interest in the sports betting advertising issue that's been front and center for much of 2023. Senator Deacon has brought forward Bill S-269, the National Framework on Advertising for Sports Betting Act to establish guidelines and regulated ads across the industry. The act calls on the Heritage Ministry to work with federal, provincial and territorial governments, along with industry stakeholders to find common ground on limiting or banning the participation of celebrities and athletes in the promotion of sports betting, promoting research and information sharing related to the prevention and diagnosis of minors involved in harmful gambling, and setting out national standards for the prevention and diagnosis of harmful gambling. Brent Cotter is a member of the Senate. He joined Senator Deacon at a news conference on Tuesday to express his support for the bill. We have the entire news conference uh, embedded in today's newsletter, but we're very pleased that both Marty Deacon and Brent Cotter have agreed to join us on the Gaming News Canada show. Marty, thanks very much for, for doing this, and I'd, I'd like to start with you, if that's okay. Great, thank
0: you. And thank you for having us. Uh, Senator Conner and I have worked on this bill together, and it's nice that we can both be here today
2: to speak and
0: to, to listen to your participants. I,
2: I think, Marty, maybe where we'll start is, and, and again, we were talking off, uh, off camera that the three of us mm-hmm. spoke back in, I think, April of 2021, when I was writing the sports betting mm-hmm. column for the Toronto Star, and and we are uh, we in the process of getting Bill C-218 passed to legalize single event sports bank in this country. I think people are always curious and a lot of us don't understand the, the machinations of, of Parliament and the House of Commons and the Senate. So I was hoping maybe you could just walk us through how the process works with, with regards to trying to get this bill passed.
0: Thank you. No problem at all. a great place to start. And we do recall uh, our conversation that we had. I mean, it's been two years, and Bill C- C-218 was our topic of conversation, as you mentioned, on uh, single-sport uh, betting. And the reason I say that is because there was a C at the front of it. And that means that that bill originated from the House of Commons, hence the C. And so that is something just to clarify right off and the process you were learning all about two years ago coming from the House. What happens is in the Senate, we can also introduce and write Senate public bills. And so if we feel we have an issue, if we feel there's something that we need to address, need to improve, need to change, need to get on top of, Senators write bills. And that's where this bill, at this moment is, uh, originating from the Senate. And so the introduction on Tuesday really this past week is probably about a 15 second process and that is where we introduce the bill what the bill is and it's we're looking at uh, I think you mentioned early creating a framework and when will we speak to it again and so it's a very quick process and then we evolve from that to what's called second reading and different senators will speak to the bill the importance the urgency the support the concern, the conflict, whatever it is. And what we really want to do is get this bill into committee. And so the committee is where we bring in the expertise, deconstruct and look at the construction of the bill in its present form. Does it make sense for Canadians? Are there improvements and amendments that can be made? All of these things in in committee. And then after the committee, it comes back. We talk to experts and witnesses, and we can talk to experts and witnesses in committee both in person and all over the world, thanks to our virtual opportunities. And these witnesses speak to all aspects of the bill. And then it comes back into the Senate for third reading. And then senators, some senators will wait, and they will speak to it at third reading. And what the goal is to have it supported by the Senate, and then it will get sent to the, the House And the House will take a look at it for their support. And I say that, and I want to emphasize that to all of you off the start, because nothing, what we're doing right now, we believe this is a really important issue, an issue to get on top of. But the government could, you know, next month, next year, in a few months, say, hey, we're going to take this, and we're going to take this on, and we are absolutely fine with that. The bottom line is it needs to be taken on. So that could also happen.
2: That's great, Marty. Thanks, <laughs> Thanks for that. Sorry, Brent, you want to add something?
3: I was just going to say, Steve, as Senator Deacon was explaining, each bill that gets considered by Parliament has to be adopted uh, in the same form in both the Senate and the House of Commons. And they have a similar process, um, unlike the one that you and Marty were discussing. This one is starting in the Senate, but then it has to, once adopted here, has to get considered uh, over in that other place in somewhat the same way.
2: Brent, both you and Marty talked uh, at length on on Tuesday at the the press conference about the reasons for bringing this bill forward, and and you mentioned Brent that you've you've been bombarded with whether it's emails or conversations you have either in Ottawa or, or when you go home to Saskatchewan, with concerns about sports betting advertising and. Again, when we talked two years ago, it was both of you at that time had supported Bill C-218. You thought both thought it made a lot of sense to uh, to legalize sports betting in this country and, and have a, a regulated industry. Uh, maybe you can just tell us, That was there kind of, and, and I'll ask Marty this as well, but has there been a moment like in 2023 where the emails or phone calls or conversations just got to the point where you and Marty said, hey, we've got to do something about this? I think the answer to that
3: is yes. Yes. Um... You will recall the work on amending the criminal code to make single event betting not a crime, which is the way in which it was set up previously, and I still support that change. It seems to me anomalous that we would make that kind of activity a crime, uh, kind of like a behavior that pushed too far can be addictive and dangerous. We have tended not to make that behavior absolutely criminal, like taking a, having a glass of wine. If you have two bottles worth, that's trouble. But if you have a glass of wine, it's not. And that's consistent, I think, with most of the Western world with respect to the legitimacy of betting on a sports event. And I think it's fair to say from my point of view that I anticipated advertising to promote people joining betting platforms to kind of get your customer base in in place and that appeared to be happening but in the last year or so i think what we have seen is people in all kinds of media being inundated not just to join a platform but to bet 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 and you know it's, some are annoyed by it and fair enough and i heard lots of messages that effect i think i would put myself in that category annoyance isn't quite enough though and and here senator deacon and other senators are more knowledgeable than me about the risks to particularly vulnerable uh, communities and populations, whether it's younger people, and that's the, the tension around celebrities doing the advertising promotion, the risk to people who have a potential addiction to gambling, that sort of thing. You didn't, in your introduction, didn't quite highlight one aspect of this. So it's not just focusing on celebrities and athletes, but is there a, a framework that should limit the time, space, type, that takes place so that we can manage those vulnerability questions better. And we, we have looked at and have been learning from European approaches that have in some cases prohibited, but in other cases regulated and restricted time, place, type of advertising that takes place. And, and uh, we, 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 don't, we are not the experts in writing that, that framework, but we feel, given what so many Canadians are saying, that such a framework needs to be put in place and this is intended to be a catalyst for that,
0: and and I just to, to finish and follow up with that piece. So you know what is it? We know we're learning a lot. Particularly Canada, Canada did the single sport betting a bit later than other countries, and so we actually you know in a way have uh, the opportunity to say what is happening around the world on this. And and you saw in the press conference, I did spend a bit of time talking about the UK. But the work and the work from CAMH to mental health are young people are the ones that are most adhesive to this. The ones that really get addicted and get excited, and it grows and grows with their with this kind of addiction. With also role models, they're looking at people they love, they're inspired by on the television, and it leads to really really negative behavior. Quite a bit of work on this, and. and, and we're learning a lot. And we also know that we don't have to, in Canada, wait four or five years to watch and see how this is going. We know it's not going well. We know that it's just uh, the level of advertising is relentless. And we know that other countries have stepped forward to make decisions on regulations, tightening in the rain, so to speak, or guardrails on what can and can't be done. And Senator Cottage is talking about that. And there are some things that we need to the government in regulation development, but there are some, I'm going to call them quick fixes, but there are four or five things, for example, that might be able to help us regulate and protect our young people better.
2: Something, Mari, that the industry has mentioned to me is that They believe that maybe there's decisions are being made too hastily on advertising and influences that and that they've called for more research and more fact based studies to be out there before any decisions are made with regards to changing the standards around advertising. I know on Tuesday that I believe you did refer to some of the research that you've seen.
0: Yes, that's sort of the mindset. One can continue to ask for data, ask for evidence, continue to ask for information for sure. But what we know and what we're seeing and what we're seeing from Canadian doctors, from Canadian mental health, from Canadian families, from different angles of this, is it's quite concerning and having an impact on our young people. But we look further and we can gather globally Much more information and and data, particularly from the UK, Italy, Netherlands, Germany, countries like that that have taken some moves. One of the ones that CAMH looks at, and I may not see it exactly correct, but one of the recommendations was a five-minute regulation. And that's where advertising would stop five minutes before a match starts and would not start until five minutes after a match is over. And so things like that, the time of day, the use or not use of professional athletes, these are where other countries are sinking their time and their energy to right the wrong
2: here. The other point I think you've made on Tuesday too, Marty, was the fact that tobacco and alcohol, there are so many restrictions around tobacco advertising. I'm not quite so sure what restrictions that might be on alcohol um, advertising, but you certainly believe that sports betting advertising or gambling advertising kind of fits in a place, I guess, where there, there do need to be some guardrails put in place around standards.
0: Yes, absolutely. I mean, one can look at, and again, it's a philosophy for some, I'm sure, is let's ban it all. Let's ban it all. Please and thank you. And that is where we have spent a couple of months looking at this from a constitutional point of view, from the history of tobacco and the history of alcohol and the emerging history of cannabis. And that's where we have found out, you know, it may not reach this bar exactly, but it certainly will
2: reach the bar similar to alcohol. I would like to ask, you know, when Bill C-218 got passed in the summer of 2021, (laughs) it was basically... The federal government was giving the provinces the responsibility of conducting and managing regulated gaming in this country and i just wonder what the, the motivation is right now for you to propose this bill and for the federal government to get involved in this issue
0: yeah and so we have a big country and we have a country that has provinces and territories with the jurisdictions and the work that we need to do and what we have seen so far and I'm sure very well aware of it, is some work being done by the Alcohol and Gaming Commission of Ontario. They are taking a look at a couple of things fairly quickly around banning celebrities and athletes. As one example, we believe that this should be a standard across the country. So if your 10-year-old or 15-year-old or 40-year-old is in Summerside PEI or in in Vernon, BC, that they should have the same expectations from all aspects on this, to be fair. And so that's why we know that it's a federal, working federal and working provincial organizations in cooperation and consultation with each other. It's critical.
2: There's an interesting economic impact piece to this as well, Marty. I mean, I think you and Brent, and we all realize that the Canadian media industry is going through some challenges right now. We saw Bell letting Mm -hmm. 1,300 employees go last week. And the athletic, letting staff go, and there are challenges. Sports betting advertising, I think, has been a bit of a lifeline for media companies, mm-hmm. particularly both Bell and Rogers coming out of the COVID 19 pandemic. You know, you have a long time involvement in sports across this country and have been involved with national sports organizations, the Commonwealth Games, the Olympics. We have sports books who have done partnerships with NSOs how do you kind of, I guess, balance that economic piece of what's going on here with trying to make sure that sports betting advertising is being done responsibly and that it isn't harming young adults or potential and current gambling addicts?
0: And it is a balance. There's no question. But it also makes us really crystal clear on what our work is and what our work is not. And our work is we're not asking to ban betting advertising. We need to keep that important. We're trying to make sure there's some guardrails, like other industries, that could prove addictive and destructive. So we're looking at pulling that in, but we're not saying no more. And I think that's really important, and it's a balance. I'm not going to deny that. I think it's important that we keep that as our laser focus.
2: Yeah. And just follow up on that, Marty, we've heard for a while now that as you and Brent both alluded to on Tuesday, I mean, when the Mm -hmm. Ontario market opened a year ago was kind of the Wild West, you know, 40, 45 operators now in the province, everybody got out there right away trying to get customers. So there was a lot of advertising on television and social media and, and other platforms. And the feeling was that that advertising would pull back at some point, I guess. For me, the sack that you're proposing, you're not quite so confident that that there is going to be a major reduction in the amount of advertising.
0: Yeah, you know, it's funny because anytime you get something new, you bring something new and you have a change. And even like COVID, some things have happened. You get this sort of increase or a spike and then things, you know, in life typically might stabilize or drop or calm down a little bit. We, we hope that would happen. Last year's level of advertising was just the beginning. It did not level off, and it's continuing. And I think what we really see, and you know the numbers, we see something like an NHL playoff series where nine minutes of the game is is advertising. And actually, I have so many people saying, we don't even turn the TV off. We turn the TV off. And so it's not going to drop, and... We in this world right now of health and well-being of young people, they have so many challenges already in their their schooling and and with COVID and with society. We want sport to be here for the right reason and that it's inspiring and the values of sport and we can use them to build communities. We don't want the televisions being turned off because of all of the other noise and distraction. So we also know broadcasters like TSN and Sportnet, they're partnering with brands. And they're partnering with brands, of course, their business plan to make revenue. I don't think they're going to pull back voluntarily when money is being made. And so we need to help with this. And I'm sure you're familiar, I have in front of me, the code for broadcast broadcast advertising for alcohol that came out in 96. It might be also helpful uh, when you're looking at this as a bit of a comparison.
2: Sure. Thanks for that, Marty. I guess the last question, yeah. Marty, and, and again, we appreciate you and Brent joining us this afternoon is, you mentioned this on Tuesday as well, and that, uh, you know, the Canadian sports system is facing some really serious issues right now. You brought up concussions, and and that was something that uh, the former Minister of Sport, Kirsty Duncan, put front and centre back in 20, uh, 2018. There's a, a real serious push right now by a lot of people in this country for a national public inquiry into a sports system not just on safe sport, but on several different issues around the way the sports system is currently mm-hmm. operating in this country. Where does the sports betting, advertising, and harm, and mental health, where does that fit for you in, in all of this? Because I would expect that Pascal Saint-Ange, the sport minister, is going to be involved in this conversation at some point as well.
0: Yeah, and so there's a couple of pieces to this, and thank you for the question. The Our sports system right now is at a moment. There's no question. And we have a sport integrity, as you know, a sport integrity commissioner. We're really concerned about the governance of sport, the expertise of leaders in sport, the big gaps between the provinces and the territories. A lot of things are on on review right now the culture of sport and the role of families. All of these things have been contributors or parts of a lot of sport and sport abuse and sport safety issues. This, and I've talked already to the integrity commissioner. This is a safe sport issue. And the part that you, you know, we don't have a lot of airtime on is the connection. My work has been quite involved in the past few decades on match fixing and match manipulation globally. And there's a connection between match fixing, people gambling, grooming athletes, all of these pieces. And so it very much is a safe sport issue.
2: Senator Marty Deacon, thanks so much for joining us. Uh, Senator Brent Cotter mentioned earlier before you did duck out that uh, that you both would be willing to come back and join us on the Gaming News Canada show at some point. We'd love to do that. It's obvious, Marty, with your background in, in sport that you've got a great interest and passion in this issue. You know, Brent's got a unique role as well. Uh was mm-hmm. with a former law professor who taught gaming, I think, at the University of Saskatchewan. He was the attorney general in Saskatchewan back in the 90s when the province brought in casinos and gaming. Mm-hmm. So it's great perspective. And yes, if we can get you back later on this summer, we'd love to do that. Happy to
0: do that. Thank you. And thank you to all the folks who are on the call. Really appreciate
2: that. Great. Thanks very much, Senator. Enjoy okay. the rest of your week. You too. Bye-bye now. Thank you. Bye-bye. That was Senator Marty Deacon and Senator Brent Cotter. A word from our sponsor. The Gaming News
1: Canada show is presented by Osler, Hoskin, and Harcourt LLP. Osler's gaming practice has the insight needed to help clients navigate the complex and evolving landscape of... Of the gaming industry, Osler's position as a trusted advisor in the gaming industry has been built over years of service to operators, suppliers, and gaming authorities. Visit Osler.com/gaming for more information. That's osle forward slash gaming Now back to the show.
2: We've got a few people with hands up. We've got Chuck keeling coming on at 1:30, but maybe we'll get Chris Abbott in here quickly, and we'll have time in the last 15 minutes or so of the program to get in this. And uh, George Boyle, George, you had your hand up. I I wasn't sure if you had a comment or a question as well.
4: Uh, Yeah. Hi, guys. I'm in the UK. um, And it's uh, listening to your thoughts about the advertising and the uh, betting side of it and how much is spent on that. Uh, There's so much money in the gaming industry. How much money is actually being focused on awareness of uh, prevention of problem gambling and I feel just as a quick concept if we can throw they spending some money on spending some advertising on the awareness concepts uh rather than just you know setting fixed timescales of having five minutes worth of gambling advertising etc or sports advertising that would be a definite benefit to the um gaming industry as a whole and I speak with lived experience At both sides with and i'm promoting mental wealth and trying to put people first within the industry which is where we also need to spend more investment into you know making sure there's impacts within the industry to create prevention and awareness and campaigning to put the prevention in hand so that then we aren't coming to an end goal with it so I'm. I'm going to leave that short and just say, guys, uh, shout me uh, to have a longer discussion about this topic. I'm extremely passionate about this.
2: Great. No, thanks. Thanks for so much, George and Amanda. This is something we've talked about often in the show. You've you've highlighted the work that Kindred Group has done with responsible gambling, and and we we do know that part of this regulated industry is that steps have been taken, and and there are places where people can reach out for help if they need it.
5: Yeah. And, you know, kind of good timing because Chris will know as well that um, iGaming Ontario just sent around for consultation a couple of weeks ago uh, two documents. One, because the centralized self-exclusion program is coming. And two, if you've read the iGo standards, um, they had kind of foreshadowed that at some point in time, every operator would be required to tithe. I think it's 0.5% of our GR, and that is going to go into RG-focused public awareness campaigns. So those consultations have you know, already happened. There's been about 80 different documents, pieces of feedback submitted to IGO. So I expect Steve in the next sort of 10 days, two weeks, I will be coming back with some more information about how those programs are going to start. There's nothing that we'll see by Labor Day, for example, but the fact that the industry will be pooling its resources together um, to, to put some public awareness campaigns out. I'll
2: ask Chris this as well, but do you think the industry would like to have seen um, Senator Deacon wait on this a little bit and see what comes out of the AGCO, which which we uh, we keep getting told and we expect will there be some kind of announcement next week about the standards. Do you think this is a little bit of putting the cart before the horse?
6: Yeah. Well, when I read the initial reading of the bill and there's a whole lot of words in there, right. Uh, in, in parliamentary speak, but it's two different things really. Right. So the AGCO is talking about the market in Ontario um, talking about specifics around who and what and when operators will be able to advertise, and I and I believe that federally we're talking CRTC regulation, which would be kind of blanket. So um, while there's only one regulated jurisdiction in the country right now, I suppose they they are one and the same, but they're they're a little bit different. I I think there's. Uh, it's a political bandwagon to jump on a little bit right now. Is is this conversation, and not that I'm I'm demeaning it in any way, but I think that um, there's infrastructure in place to deal with this, as the AGCO is already doing. And I think, yes, Steve, uh, it, it would be um, okay to let the organizations that are in place that are already handling these issues. Um, get through their processes without, uh, you know, without introducing a new stream of, of noise.
2: Great stuff, Chris. I, we're we're going to get back to this, I think, with you and Amanda before the end of the show. And I want to run a couple of other topics by you, um, this week as well, but we do want to welcome now, and I, I'm not sure if he's made it safely back to British Columbia, but we're joined by Chuck Keeling, the executive vice president, stakeholder engagement, community, and social responsibility for great Canadian entertainment. And Chuck, welcome! And uh, it's been been an exciting week for, for Great Canadian with the opening of the Great Canadian Casino Resort right right beside Woodbine Racetrack in in Toronto. And what are your initial impressions of what, uh, what what's been open so far?
7: Thanks very much, Steve. And uh, first of all, apologies for a couple things. One, yeah, I'm back in Vancouver. Um, uh, I am on the uh, Vancouver Airport uh, um, Airport Strip over. Uh, Uh, just over at River Rock. Uh, So you may hear planes flying over me. And then secondly, apologize for having to say my full title. You're a brave man. (laughs) Um, In terms of the opening of Great Canadian Casino Resort Toronto on Tuesday, yeah, I mean, this was a a five-year journey for us, uh, uh, obviously impacted by the ravages of, of COVID, not only in terms of shutting down our our operations across all four provinces we do business in. But uh, there were three shutdowns of construction totaling four months with the development of Great Canadian Casino Resort Toronto. So it was a very surreal day and a long time coming for us on Tuesday. But it's the first day of a very long journey. We opened the the, the gaming floor itself and several dining outlets. But uh, in the next several weeks, we'll be opening the 400 room hotel the next couple of months, we'll be opening the 5,000-person theater, uh, as well as additional dining outlets, uh, retail, and some other fun stuff coming.
2: Yeah, Chuck, I don't know if it's because I tend to focus on the newsletter. We tend to zero in on, on the sports betting side of it, and uh, uh, we've certainly been following uh, the attempts in the U.S. where we, we know that, I believe, it's Bally's is going to bring a casino to downtown Chicago this fall. and the ongoing efforts to get a downtown casino in, in New York City—it almost feels like this one's flown under the radar. A bit which seems crazy because, to your point, I mean, you're talking about uh, you know a facility with 328,000 square feet of gaming space and 4,800 slot games and, and sports betting kiosk, and you're gonna there's going to be a 400 room hotel open at some point and a 5,000 seat er, entertainment venue and and. Uh, great canadians working with live nation to, to bring acts to that venue when it's ready to open again is that just me not not having my eye on the ball and has there been a lot of excitement throughout the industry about this place opening
7: it's a great point steve and i don't think you're alone me included uh, our team included we we were not uh let me term it as prolific or or, or proactive necessarily in terms of those various phases of development leading to opening day and I think again largely impacted by being shut down or operating with highly abbreviated in highly abbreviated circumstances or with operational restrictions for close to 18 months and thus the focus being on one how do we get reopened and two when we were reopened how do we get back to some normal Meanwhile, uh, this billion dollar investment uh, as an undertaking happening not off to the side, but just operationally speaking, not necessarily uh, the focus it deserved. But but to your point, uh, in terms of flying under the radar, yeah, this is a billion dollar investment. This is one of the largest private sector capital developments in the province of Ontario currently. Uh, the, the, the sheer size, scale and um, and scope and enormity of this property, you could drop each of BMO Field, Scotiabank Arena or Rogers Centre onto the floor plate of this property. And so I think leading up to opening day on on June 20th, um, we knew that that would be the first true unveiling of this property. And in a market uh, the size of the GTA and recognizing we are not limiting ourselves as a market to just the GTA, that would be the first true unveiling. And and then to start to tell the story more more proactively, more explicitly, uh, knowing that we are on a long, long journey ahead of us in developing this property further and, and, and having it mature into the opportunity it deserves.
2: If I missed this in the coverage this week, I apologize,
7: but I'm just wondering if you have uh, timelines
2: for both the hotel and the, uh, and the entertainment venue to open.
7: Yeah, so what we're saying right now, Steve, is several weeks for the hotel, a couple more months for the theater, uh, additional dining outlets coming. We've got a we hope a, a pretty interesting announcement coming on the food and beverage side. I don't want to say any more than that. Uh, retail uh, that will be in the next several months, but I, 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 we're, we're confident in saying that this property, the very, the, 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 the true first phase of it, as we contemplate, it will be largely done by the end of the year. But then what I would say to that as well is there's another uh, piece of the property. Of course, we are a tenant to Woodbine Entertainment, uh, that, that we call internally Block 10 that has that been identified and dedicated for more development. We've already poured the cement floor plate and foundation for potentially another 400 room hotel there, notwithstanding Woodbine Entertainment's aspirations and what they want to do on their 700 acre site there. And their goal of trying to have a, a go train station there for, for mass transit. I mean, this right. could be in coming years an entire urban district if, if all this comes together.
2: Hey, I'm just going to bring Amanda Brewer in here quickly, Chuck. And I, Amanda was involved, I think, more than a decade ago in a push for a downtown casino in, in the city. And I just wonder, Amanda, like having this place, is that a pretty good plan B for in your mind?
5: Well, first, I just want to say hi to Chuck and congratulations because that's such exciting news. And absolutely, I mean, Woodbine is, is such a beautiful location given its proximity to downtown Toronto, proximity to the airport. Um, it's kind of, it still feels like it's, it's still in the heart of, of downtown Toronto. And as, as Chuck was saying, that capital investment is no small feat, it's been a long time coming and I think it's only going to bring greater and greater benefits to the greater metropolitan Toronto area as you know, people get hired, more of the facility opens, more amenities come in. I think it's just fantastic.
2: Thanks for that, Amanda. Chuck, we did hear a little bit of grumbling from competitors, you know, leading up to the opening of this casino. And I believe I I know folks in Niagara Falls are are a little bit disgruntled. And I know the owners of Great Blue Heron Casino are a little miffed as well. I'm, I'm just wondering, you wonder, like, any... Uh, entertainment business, whether it's it's restaurants or sports teams or whatever, that competition can sometimes be a good thing. And we've certainly seen that with OLG and the regulated market here in Ontario, where OLG's admitted that the opening up of the market here forced them to pull up their britches and provide a better product. Do you think there are enough people in this province to support the number of casinos in the GTA?
7: Yeah, I think a simple answer to that is is yes, Steve. And and I say that almost wholly because OLG as the, as the market manager for the land-based uh, marketplace has, has deemed it so. Uh, and, and, and so to your point, more specifically, certainly appreciate and respect uh, Mayor Diodati's position down at Niagara Falls, and he's doing what, what he needs to do. Uh, in terms of protecting the interests of, of his community and, and more specifically uh, our friends at Fallsview. And I don't say that lightly. I, I think specific to Mississauga, Skugog Island of First Nation, MSIFN for short, and uh, Chief La Rocca, um, that, that property, Great Blue Heron uh, Casino and Hotel, we operate that. And, and so we also appreciate and respect her concerns, but we also want to underscore that because that is a property we operate, its success, its viability is also in our best interest. And moreover, we've uh, we've invested tens of millions of dollars building the hotel that is now there that we opened in the middle of COVID. We've expanded and renovated the gaming floor at Great Blue Heron. It is one of four locations of our 12 in the province that we have opened a, a sports book And we are in the midst of developing its own entertainment venue that we are targeting to open in the early fall. So uh, we have a very strong commitment to the operation at Great Blue Heron and our several hundred team members there and the First Nations. And we're backing that up with investment in the tens of millions of dollars.
2: Chuck, that's a good segue because we want this show to appeal to our listeners beyond the borders of Ontario. I'm just wondering what Great Canadian has going on right now with your properties in British Columbia, Nova Scotia and and New Brunswick.
7: It's a great point, Steve, because uh, my colleagues often remind me of that and, and our team as well. I mean, we're coming off the back of Of opening uh, Pickering Casino Resort a a couple months ago, the formal opening, and that was a $500 million investment. Now the first phase, the Great Canadian Casino
4: Resort, Toronto, a billion
7: dollar investment. But um, for our team members, our 8,000 across uh, the country, it's very important for us to to talk about other things that are happening, not only in Ontario, but, but more importantly in BC and New Brunswick and Nova Scotian. So you, you referenced the Live Nation partnership that we announced a couple of weeks ago where they will be assisting us uh, and actually leading um, the pursuit of Talk to Your Talent coming into our six theaters in New Brunswick, Nova Scotia, Ontario and BC we've got a whole pile of other things that are happening on a less material front at those properties as we continue to find our feet, find our way in this post COVID environment and what's the new normal and how we leverage off of that. You know, I, I mentioned earlier, we've got a, I think a very exciting announcement that almost rivals the, Uh, significance of the Live Nation partnership on the food and beverage side. And I'm salivating at the opportunity for us to be able to announce this opportunity where we're going to start in British Columbia and work our way east. So we've got a lot more in store, a lot more in tap for our uh, land-based operations, our 25 land-based operations right across the country.
2: I know uh, Dave Briggs from Play Canada, who's list, might not want to hear this, but uh, Gaming News Canada would sure like to have the scoop on that announcement, Chuck, if or when it happens. And I, <laughs> and I, and I, and I know uh, I know Dave, being the music lover he is, Amanda and Chris and myself, we're all dying to know who the first act's going to be uh, at, the, uh, at the entertainment venue. And I think it uh, was suggested at the press conference this week that that's going to be announced pretty soon.
7: Yeah, we're very excited about that. There was lots of work being undertaken to determine who it is. We had Brian Adams, you know, obviously a Canadian icon, open our 2,500-person theater at Pickering. This is a 5,000-person theater. So all I will say at this point is that there's lots of work underway on that. And we're being governed and guided by the fact we want somebody Canadian.
2: Yeah, and as long as it's not Chris, i doing karaoke, Chuck. I think your your customers will be highly satisfied.
7: I don't know what we would charge for Chris to come in and <laughs> indulge us with his singing voice. We we t- take that offline.
6: Just Catching shrapnel over here. All right. Okay. I was going to say I was going to say something nice, but no, that's fine. <laughs>
2: Hey, Chuck, Just one last question, and, and I'll, Amanda or uh, Chris might have something for you. But again, because we do focus on sports betting and with gaming news, can I'm just curious on what what great Canadian entertainment strategy in, is right now with uh, regards to sports betting? Not just in Ontario, but uh, across the country.
7: Yeah, great question. And you know, kudos to, to as you said, Dave Briggs asking me the question at the summit last week. So backing up and, and recognizing our wheelhouse is the uh, the land-based environment and not the the online as it pertains to iGaming or, or, or sports betting. Uh, obviously, we have we've taken our time to figure out how we dip our toes in that uh, very competitive water. And, and we did launch a, a partnership, an affiliate partnership, to use more of the vernacular of the industry, I guess, with OLG a few weeks ago, whereby we will leverage our 12 land-based assets uh, across Ontario to promote and support uh, OLG's digital platform and and their 1.6 million in their database and vice versa with that database in terms of how they can support our, our land-based operations. And for us, uh, you know, again, we did take our time and and tried to come up with what we felt was a thoughtful decision that would work uh, for us at this juncture and, and, and OLG as well. And a bit of a natural extension of our partnership with them in the land-based environment. And so it's early days, obviously, and, and we know it's a ultra competitive environment, but I think most importantly, it allows us to continue to concentrate on our wheelhouse and that being the land-based environment. As it pertains to the other provinces, I mean, you've got a series of experts here that I know you talk to uh, weekly in terms of what's happening in other provinces. And, and again, being based here in British Columbia, you know, it's something that we're monitoring as well. And Obviously, we have strong relationships with the BC Lottery Corporation, with NBLGC in New Brunswick, and SGC in in Nova Scotia. Obviously, ALC has that uh, monopoly in in the Maritimes. And with BC, BCLC, that is specifically, we have a not dissimilar relationship with them here. All the land-based service providers, all 38 land-based operations in the province, does that environment change from a policy perspective, politically in the future. Yeah, I, I guess we're all waiting to see if that will be the case. And uh, and if or when that does happen, uh, we'll continue to work with the BCLC in terms of uh, ensuring land-based interests are part of the mix.
2: Chuck, I just, yeah, I just wanted to mention, and I should have said something at the top of the segment when we got you on here, is, is I thought it was a really classy gesture by a great canadian to uh to have uh canadian country singer lindsay l spin the roulette wheel on uh, on tuesday and and the you know the hundred dollar prize from her her hitting black uh has been donated to lgbt youth line so i thought that was a really uh really nice touch and i i wanted to mention that before we let you go chris or amanda did you did you have a comment or a question for chuck uh, just you know, congratulations from my side.
6: I mean, I am your I'm your demographic. I'm a casino player myself. Um, you know, the last couple of years living in downtown Toronto, there wasn't a whole lot of land-based options for me. So uh, I, I almost made the trip out last night. I didn't get there, but I'm hoping to, to get out and see the facility this weekend. And, um, you know, I'm really excited what they have to offer and um, you know, Steve, you mentioned that there was some grumbling. Well, I mean, we know that that people like to grumble, but I think you made the, the point, like raise your game up. I mean, there's times where I've gone across to play at Seneca in, in Buffalo or Niagara Falls just because I, um, you know, for various reasons. Um, so I uh, I'm excited to see what here's to offer here in the city, and uh, and the timing's great as we head into summer and tourist season. So, um, congratulations, and and I think uh, the other part I'd like to say is I think it's, it's great for everyone. I think it's great for my company. I think it's great for Amanda's company. It's a, it's an entryway into gaming for people who may not have played before. So, um, you know, then we hope we get some spill off effect and and the rising tide effect. So thanks very much.
7: First of all, Chris, appreciate (laughs) that. Uh, Fully subscribe to your belief that, uh, Irrespective of a vertical, I think that there are some some synergies and, and some mutual benefit, collective benefit that way. Uh, we'll find out for sure. Uh, your point about being a downtown resident, we recognize maybe trudging out to Rexdale and uh, GTA traffic on the on the 427 may not be ideal, and that's our challenge uh, is to make this intriguing, enticing, and compelling enough to get. Uh, the Chris Abbott's of downtown Toronto out to Rexdale. And and that's where we're laser focused. And Steve, thanks for the comment about Lindsay L. Uh, I know it was just a slip of the tongue. You mentioned hundred dollars. It was a dollars so It was hundred thousand dollars.
2: Yes.
7: And that came together very, very quickly. And kudos to Lindsay L. You know, she's a big deal uh, uh, in the country world. She'd opened for Shania Twain Tuesday night, uh, but she made the time to come to, to Rexdale to do that, knowing that there was potentially a hundred thousand to her charity of choice, and then bombed off to Hamilton to open for Shania Twain, then she's back on breakfast television uh, Wednesday morning. She's a trooper and she's a total, total professional.
6: I had heard a rumor that the UP Express might add a stop um, for both airport layovers and uh, direct access from downtown. Is there any truth to that rumor?
7: Yes. Yes, Woodbine announced in 2019, Chris, that with with Metrolinks, that that is uh, the the intent. uh, That's the plan. So not sure where they're at with it. But yes, uh, it's very definitive that the intent is to have a, a station there as part of the upline.
1: That's brilliant. Cool. A word from our sponsor. GBG are global leaders in digital identity, fraud prevention, and compliance solutions that help operators to increase player acquisition rates, reduce fraud, and stay on the right side of market regulations. In fact, 60% of gaming brands who hold a license in the province of Ontario are already working with GBG. Visit GBGPLC.com for more information on GBG services. Now back to the show.
2: Got about ten minutes left and uh Chris and Amanda wanted to walk through it, it. Quite a for our paid subscribers, uh we had a very busy on the home front section this week with the newsletter and Jeff Cody from Covers flagged this on Twitter yesterday afternoon that the alcohol and gaming was um uh taking uh, taking action against BB gaming, which is uh, the Bet Victor brand and Fitzgerald for offering uh, quote prohibited bets on Canadian major junior hockey. I don't want to Chris a man. I don't want to put either one you in the spot, but it does seem, uh, does this, see, this seems to be a case of uh, an operator coming into a market and, and just not understanding that you, you just can't bet on, on junior hockey. Is that a, is that a safe assumption?
5: Yeah, I'm pretty sure that's exactly what happened. And it, kind of goes back to something Chris and I and you've talked about before, Steve, which is the need to have people on the ground here. You need to have country managers, compliance people, people who've gone through the regulations. You know, the the actual nice thing about the AGCO standards is they're online, anyone can go and read them. And in terms of, you know, iGaming standards, because sports betting is in there, they're, they're not exhaustive. You can make your way through them in a reasonable amount of time and, and not be completely overwhelmed by what you read. But, yeah, it's, it's a case of, you know, if your sports book, whoever's setting your lines, whoever's, you know, deciding what sports you're offering on, clearly um, missed that regulation, which is sitting in the standards. Um, so that's there was a specific carve out at the request of the CHL before the market even opened, that their games be completely blocked from, from having any bets put on them. So that's been part of the original regulations from the get-go.
6: Yeah, Stephen, I think... Um... One of the things with, with that situation is um, a lot of providers just are, are taking feeds for whatever sports are available, right? And uh, whether it's, you know, Don Best or Genius or or whoever you're using, um, they do offer the CHL. And, um, you know, there was a on our site one night I saw that it just it auto-populates. And I, I, you know, but we have betting disabled. So even if people wanted to, you know, they saw the odds and they clicked through, they wouldn't be able to place the bet. But um, Amanda's point is absolutely correct. You need people with local knowledge. You need your compliance team to go over all of these things. Because if you're operating from from outside of the country, um, you may not even realize, you know, your traders probably don't know what the CHL is. Um, And that's legitimate. And I would think that's exactly what happened here. I don't think anyone would knowingly um, break the regulations, but uh, I'm glad to see that it was enforced.
2: Yeah. Hey, Chris, we didn't, uh, we had such a crowded house on the uh, Metro Toronto convention center floor last week that we, that we, uh, we couldn't fit you in for the, for the podcast and for our, for our live remote from the Canadian gaming summit. But I, I'd love to get your thoughts. And again, I just, in this form, I want to thank you for, uh, appearing on the panel with Jared, Jared Bieber and, uh, Connor Murray, I that I was a really fun discussion. And as I joked at the beginning of that panel, there were a lot of people sitting in that conference hall who uh, who considered themselves to be content experts and the feedback I got afterwards extremely positive. But I I'd just love to get your thoughts on the on the summit overall. <laughs>
6: Yeah, you know, I tried to get into that call, but the the bouncer turned me away at the door. I tried slipping him 50 bucks. It didn't work. So I just went on my merry way. But um, yeah, that conference was great. I mean, it was fantastic. SBC does such a good job. Um, You know, what I really liked about it, you know, you were in New Jersey uh, last month as well and and the look and the feel and, and they really have got their brand figured out and how they operate things and... Um, you know, that's good. if you go into McDonald's in, in uh, another country, you want to look like the one on your street corner. And I think SBC is doing a good job of of formulating, um, you know, their, their environment that way. Uh, as for the panel, I thought it was wonderful. Um, thank you for moderating. Uh, we were starting to wonder if you were going to show up. I think you walked in right on time. The other three of us were early and, and, uh, and we were surprised ourselves for being early and we thought you'd be there before us. So I know you were busy. So thanks for, uh, thanks for fitting us in. And, and I tell you, um, I've emceed a wedding before and that's kind of how it felt at this panel because you're right. There's so many people in the audience who could tell if you – um, we're full of BS <laughs> or not. So, uh, it's like at a wedding, everyone knows everyone, uh, and many of them know them better than you and you're standing up. So I'd rather stand up in front of a group of strangers or I used to work on TV or do this. And, and it's very, very easy. Um, but when, when the eyes are staring back at you, I know Nick Sulski was in the back of the room and, and, uh, he grabbed me on the way out and had a good laugh, but, um, yeah, it was, it was fun, man. I, I would like to do more of that stuff. I think it was, uh, I think it was really good. And I know, um, everyone involved here, um, one way or the other was, was part of a panel. And I think SBC did a great job of, of getting so many different perspectives on so many different topics. So, um, full marks for me, uh, Amanda, it's funky cold Medina by tone Lope, If I have to my karaoke go to
5: (laughs) what no sweet child of mine.
6: I I cannot hit those notes. I cannot hit those notes.
2: And, uh, Amanda was on a panel. Well, Amanda, just, you know, I, I think probably we were, we were all running on fumes a little bit last, uh, last Wednesday when we were huddling at the, the Homestand Sports Gaming News Canada booth, but having had a chance to digest the conference and have a week to think about it, anything stick out with you with regards to last week?
5: Um, You know, just really echoing what Chris said, it was, uh, you know, I had a really great time on the panel. It was fabulous to have SBC now at the helm of that summit. It felt so professionally run, so professionally organized. People were happy. They weren't stressed like they were last year trying to bounce between two conferences. Um, So all, you know, all I saw were pretty happy people and not a lot of complaints, which was great. So they've announced the return for next year. Dates are already out there, so I think we'll probably have a few months off, and then <laughs> the, the mash the machine will start up again as they start to reach out to uh, you know get some early speakers confirmed and start figuring out the program. But yeah, I thought it was a really nice representation, as I said in my LinkedIn post, of, of the growth and development of Canada's gaming industry.
2: Yeah, and I think that to Chris's point, your point as well, Amanda, I I just, there's so much expertise in this country. And I thought SBC did a really good job highlighting that with the construction of the panels last week. And we had two shows in the city a year ago. And the complaint about the one show was that it was just too many outsiders who didn't understand or weren't educated about the industry here in Canada. That certainly wasn't the case last week. Um, I want to end the program just going back to the lead story, and that was, uh, you know, Sanders Cotter and, and Deacon appearing with us to talk about the Senate public bill around sports betting advertising. And man, just any additional thoughts? Like, again, is it a case where I guess some people might say that the industry had an opportunity to clean this up earlier? I don't think that's fair because I think certainly the networks are accepting the money. And if you're going to suggest that anybody's culpable, I would suggest that the media companies are as culpable as anybody. Yeah. I guess just your general thoughts.
5: Yeah. So again, I think what we're talking about is a problem of the proliferation of the multiple forms of advertising during NHL games. We're not talking about the complete Suite of iGaming, not just sports betting, but iGaming advertising that appears throughout the province and all different channels. I can completely understand how frustrating it is to be sitting in downtown Edmonton and seeing sports betting ads on your local TV during a news broadcast or a hockey game. Um, Those questions go right back over to the broadcasters. Like, if we can geo block customers, from accessing our website. I'm sure a few smart people at Chorus and CBC and & Rogers can figure out how to geo-block or geolocate their their advertising and not have ads, you know, sportsbook ads go nationally across the province. You know, so it's it's kind of putting a lot of emphasis on one part of how the sportsbook advertising is is being felt or being experienced in, in this province. So I kind of wish that the senators had waited to see what the AGCO was going to come out with, but we've talked ad nauseum about it's not just this industry. There are multiple stakeholders who are responsible for those ads being shown in the way they're shown and how they're shown. Um, and that's not just the industry. It's, it's also Think TV that's clearing them. It's the broadcasters that are airing them. It's the NHL, you know, (laughs) it's a lot of stakeholders who are responsible. So I think despite the intention behind it, and again, I can appreciate the frustration, I think we just need to give the AGCO the space to see what it's going to come back with. For all we know, there will be a whistle-to-whistle ban. I don't have any inside knowledge, but who knows what they're going to come back with. But hopefully when the AGCO is able to come back with their revised standards and the industry's had some time to digest them, Maybe we can just kind of ratchet down the level of anxiety or frustration around this,
2: Chris. Because you were the chirpy this week, we're giving the last word to you. Whatever it takes.
5: Yeah, I think the thing that sticks
6: out for me, and I agree with everything Amanda said, so I won't repeat it. But the thing that sticks out for me is the rush to the absolute worst case outcomes. Right? I think um, in a lot of the media that I'm seeing, a lot of the a lot of the chatter, it's you know. Well, gambling can ruin you and your family. Gambling leads to all these, you know, different things uh, when you use it incorrectly. And there's a lot of products <laughs> that, when used incorrectly, could lead lead to a serious downfall and harm relationships and families and, and whatnot. So the stigma around gaming, I think, comes from a little bit of a, a lack of education and a little bit of a lack of data that we have here locally. I understand that there's there's studies done globally and worldwide, but I think it's really easy to knee-jerk react and say, oh, it's too much. If my kids see this, they're going to gamble their life away. That's one of, you know, kids can't sign up to a regulated book. Adults have to go through hoops to sign up to a regulated book. So back to what I said earlier there's already mechanisms in place to control a lot of this. Do I think there's there's way too much sports betting advertising on one game? Yeah, actually I do. I do. So that that's one side of it. But I think the reasoning and some of the chatter around the potential harms and and oh everybody's gonna fall into this, it harkens back to when when we you know, regulated and legalized cannabis to me, like the the panic that, oh, everybody's going to be walking down the street completely stoned out of their mind, and maybe it'd be a better world if they were, but that's a whole other conversation. Um, but I think we're getting a little bit of that right now. I think, I think, I, I hope common sense prevails at the end of the day.
2: People like this show, uh, every. Week because of the guests that we're, we're lucky to have on and, and provide their, their wisdom and their insight and their expertise. So, as always, uh, thank you, Amanda Burr from Kinder Group, Chris Abbott from Vitano Canada, and also thank you to Chuck Keeling from Great Canadian Entertainment and Senators Marty Deacon and Senator Brent Cotter for joining us this week on the Gaming News Canada show presented by Osler Hoskin and Harcourt LLP. We do this on LinkedIn Audio every Thursday. Uh, you'll notice we have a new time for the summer months we will do this show between one and two o'clock et so people like chris and amanda can maybe get a an earlier start on their uh, on their weekends in july and august also, uh, we do take this LinkedIn audio program and turn it into the Gaming News Canada Show podcast that comes out on Friday mornings on Substack, Apple, Spotify, and other podcast forms. Thank you so much, everybody, for uh, joining us this week. Uh, please be safe out there. It's the summertime; we all spend maybe a little bit more time in our cars and on patios. So, so please be uh, be responsible, be safe, and. I think we will do a show next week. I'll have to consult with Amanda and Chris and, and, and uh, Mark Silver, Mike Day, and Gavin Roth, and we'll, we'll make an executive decision early next week on whether or not we do a show leading in the long weekend. Uh, enjoy the rest of your week, everybody. Thank you for listening to the Gaming News Canada show. Sign up for our newsletter at
1: gamingnewscanada.ca. Follow Steve McAllister on LinkedIn to join the live audience. Message Steve if you're interested in being a sponsor or featured guest.